So hi, it's Joe here from Coaching Culture and today I'm joined by an amazing human being, the wonderful and inspirational co number three coaching guru in the world and best-selling author of The Coaching Habit and The Advice Trap. So welcome, Michael Bungistanye. So it's really nice to be here. Nice job pronouncing my name. Not everybody gets that right, but you totally nailed it. So we're off to a perfect start. Oh, wonderful. Well, I must admit, it does make it sound quite glamorous, the stannier bit at the end. I do like that. Well, you know, it, in Canada, uh, where I now live, people Frenchify it. So they make it sound like I'm European and kind of more sophisticated than I really am. <laughs> it actually comes from um, uh, Scotland. It's, it's Celtic. So it's the oh. origin for stannier is stone hewer. And then when I got married, I took my wife's name, Bungay. So we combined our names together and her Bungay is from Norfolk. So we've got a kind of northern UK thing vibe going on in my surname. And I Frenchified it really, haven't I? I've made, I've made it way more. Uh... I'm just not that glamorous or sophisticated <laughs> or cultured. Oh, well, before we dive in to talk more about the books, which your books are phenomenal and our coaching culture community absolutely love them and we shout about them as often as we can. But before we dive into them, mm -hmm. we're in the middle of a global pandemic, so it'd be certainly rude not to ask you, how are you and how's the last year been for you? You've already talked to me a little bit about the uh, COVID hair. So, you know, it's uh, so Toronto, where I live, is is going through the second wave and we're just starting to talk about the third wave. So yeah. Like lots of you in the UK, we're kind of been locked down and kind of gnashing our teeth a little bit about that. Um, for the most part, um, my life is not too badly affected by all of this. You know, I don't have children. Um, yeah. My wife and I like hanging out with each other, and that, that has continued to be the case. Um, I, I got to go back to Australia in, in the middle of 2020 to see my parents, and I spent two, three months living in Australia with them. So I also have a job that allows me to be flexible like that and travel. Yeah. And that involved, you know, I, I, I did two weeks self-isolation three times last year for various travel hiccups. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, in terms of my working life, so often I spend it in this little room here, you know, writing books or doing podcasts or thinking about stuff. Yeah. Um, I have a brilliant woman who took on being the CEO of Box of Crayons, which is the training company that I founded. So she's navigating that team of 20 people or so through COVID and, and doing a far better job than I could ever do. So, you know, like everybody, I'm like, wouldn't mind a restaurant, wouldn't mind a hug, <laughs> wouldn't mind hanging out yeah. with some people in real life. Yeah. Um, but all things considered, I, I, I I'm, I'm the embodiment of it helps to be in a privileged position to write out the uh, to write out a pandemic. I feel like I'm that. Oh, well, that's a that's a good place to be. And I, and I like you, I think we're all getting ready for um, I mean, people have talked about the new normal, but I think people are now starting to think, well, just give us the old normal back. That, that'll that do. That'll do. Just give us that restaurant. Just give us something that doesn't involve <laughs> the word lockdown and whatever that is. I'm pretty I'm pretty much up for it. Absolutely. Yes. So we're uh, we're in a similar, similar position. Well, thank you for that. I, I needed to know how you are. Thank you. But let's now talking. Let's get talking about yourself and the books. But my first question is really what inspired you or who inspired you to really change the world of coaching and to get leaders and managers adopting a coaching style or being more coach-like more of the time. You know, the danger with me telling that story, because it's, it's, it's now, I've been trying to do that for 10 years, as I now make up this sort of mythology about how this all came to me. <laughs> but um, it is true that when I, I started Box of Crayons, this company about 20 years ago now, 
And when I started, I just arrived in Toronto. I didn't know anybody. I didn't, I'd been just been fired from my previous job. Didn't really know what I was doing. And so I started like lots of solopreneurs do, which is like, I'm just trying to make a buck. Yeah. <laughs> I have assorted skills. I've done some, I've been a, trained as a coach. I thought maybe I'd build a coaching practice. I'd been a consultant so I could help with strategy and stuff. I'd been an innovation guy so I could help invent stuff. So when I started off and started at Box of Crayons, I was, I was just trying to find people who would give me some money to do stuff so I could buy groceries and pay rent yeah. and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. But um, a company here in, in Canada hired me to build a training program around coaching. And it was really important because it meant that I finally found something where I had some expertise in it. Um, yeah. I had a strong point of view around it, which was a lot of coach training, particularly in organizations, was a bit crap. So mm -hmm. I was like, I don't think they do a very good job. And, I'm, and I've got a point of view around how they could do a better job. Yeah. And then the third element, which is like, I think there's a market for this. I think I could find a way to sell it and build a living and maybe build a company based on it. So that started about 15 years ago. Um, yeah, about that. And um, I, I, and for a long time, I kind of, I did that, but a bunch of other things, you know, I had a, I had a, a, a mailing list. So I wrote newsletters and I did stuff yeah. for individuals and I did stuff for companies. But um, 10 years ago, we kind of doubled down on this idea of we're going to specialize in coaching and at Box of Crayons, we started talking about ourselves. We teach 10 minute coaching to busy managers yeah. and leaders. I'm like, great. And by then I trained hundreds of thousands of people in these tools. So I'd been practicing kind of ways of teaching, coaching to make it feel unweird and powerful yes. and pragmatic and not like some weird HR initiative, but actually like a leadership tool that regular people could use on a day-to-day -day basis. Definitely. So when it came to write the book, The Coaching Habit, I just knew what worked, or at least I thought I had an idea about what worked. But then I actually spent three years trying to convince a publisher who'd published a previous book of mine, Do More Great Work, and they're a fancy New York publisher. I was like, I was trying to convince them to publish this book, and they just didn't like it. What? And it meant that I, I, I wrote three or four full versions of this book. I kept getting rejected by them. And at a certain point, I finally went, okay, look, I am sure this is going to be a good book. <laughs> yes. So either you say yes to it or no to it. But stop with the maybe if you just tweak this. <laughs> And they went, no. And honestly, I was stunned because I was so sure they were going to say yes because my previous book had sold maybe 100,000 copies with them, which is pretty solid. And, um, and I was like, I've got a company. I can sell the books to people. And I said no. So I spent a few days or maybe weeks kind of gnashing my teeth and <laughs> railing against the universe and going, this is an outrage. Licking the wounds. Licking the wounds a bit. And yeah. then I went, you know what? I'm going to self-publish it, but I'm committed to self-publishing it in a way that makes it feel like a professional book. So not, not an amateur job. I'm going to invest time and money, build a team, find a great editor and a designer and a, a way of publishing it. And then that became the coaching habit. And that has just had amazing success. You know, it's closing in on a million copies sold and, it has done all I could have ever hoped of and a ton more in terms of making coaching feel like it's a, a viable, everyday, practical way of showing up and being in relationship with other people. Oh, it's such, I'm just sat here thinking, wonder what you'd love to say to those publishers right now. What are they, what would, what would the coaching conversation be to those publishers who... <laughs> 
in some ways I don't mind because of how smug I feel. Oh, exactly. That. Um, and I did in the in the uh, in the acknowledgements page, I did thank them for turning <laughs> me down because that had worked out quite nicely. So definitely. And some of the best opportunities in life come from stories exactly like this. So it's an amazing book, and we featured it in our last magazine, and we've had people just saying, "Wow, this is such a highly effective book." But simple, and I love the way you write. I mean, you make it real and and relatively simple to follow but one of the questions I have is out of all the brilliant coaching questions in the world how did you get it down to seven uh you know it 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 took it took I experimented one of the first versions of that book was here are my favorite 165 questions (laughs) and I thought you know I could write a book and it'd be basically you know a page or two per question yeah. And it'd be this great treasure trove for coaches because there's a lot of great questions out there. Anyway, I wrote that and it sucked as a book. <laughs> oh, you know, it's just so boring. <laughs> and so An encyclopedia bad. of questions. Yeah. And unusable. And I'm just like, oh, I thought that was going to be a really good idea. <laughs> so <laughs> I then spent um, months writing out questions and and rearranging them and trying to put them in an order. And I experimented with 21 and I experimented with nine and I experimented with five and I experimented back with another different nine and I kept coming around and then seven and of course seven is a bit of a magical number and you've got the seven habits of whatever highly effective people or whatever the book is it's got a it's got marketing oomph to it um so it was um so going back and forth this is this is the whole thing that you know, people who are writers already know and people who are listening and watching us may not know, which is if you've read The Coaching Habit and it feels elegant and simple and written in a straightforward, engaging way, none of my drafts were like that. <laughs> what, you're, what, what you're seeing is a book that has been written and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten and rewritten so that it looks like I just casually dashed it off one afternoon in a kind of look how look how elegantly and transparently and, and you know, self-deprecatingly amusing <laughs> I write. And I'm like, ah, it's just not like that. I mean, I'm writing in this new book at the moment I, uh, and I'm, I'm in the middle of the first draft and it's like, it's miserable. <laughs> like it's, it's, it's horrible. It's like, it's confusing. None of my ideas take place on the paper the way I want it to. I move from being either full of purple prose or absolutely absent of anything interesting to say. It's a disaster. That's just part of the process. Oh, you've made it appear effortless when we read it. It's the sort of book that, you know, those business books where you sort of read the first chapter and think, oh, I just really want to now get to the summary pages at the end and just quickly flick, just get to the point. Yours, you can sit and read. You can curl up on the sofa and go, I need my, I need my highlighter pen. There's so much quality in here. Well, that, that, I appreciate you saying that because that is... That's how I aspire. Those are the books I aspire to write because believe me, I've read so many bad books and in self-help and in business, I think they're particularly rife where I'm like, honestly, this could have been a blog post. And by blog post, I mean a really short blog post. And you've (laughs) now stretched it out for 320 words at pages. And it's just, it's flabby and it's gratuitous. And I'm like, how do I make this as lean as possible? I mean, one of my, design principles in terms of the programs I design, but the books I write is what's the least I could teach you that would be most useful. 
And that just brings this kind of rigor to go, I'm just going to cut out all the flab and there's always flab and there's always more than you, (laughs) more than you wish, but it's always there. Well, you've definitely carried it on into the advice trap as well, haven't you? So I'm, I'm starting to feel that there may have been a painful story behind the advice trap as well now in terms of how you've got to such an amazing book again, which does feel like the, the brother or sister of the coaching habit and that advice trap together. But has that, was that equally as challenging? It wasn't. And, um, and I'll tell you, kind of just between you and me and everybody listening in, I, I love The Coaching Habit. I think it is a gem of a book. It is. And I think it reflects, um, it, ref, it reflects just the amount, the, basically the years I spent writing it and rewriting it. The Advice Trap, I wrote more quickly. And okay. if I had my druthers, I would love a second go at it. Just one more pass at it, just to tighten it up and polish it just a little bit further. So on the, on the upside... You know, Seth Godin, who's a, a marketing blogger that yeah. lots of people know and follow, he's like 80% shipped is better than 100% perfect. Definitely. Because there is something about getting your thing out into the world. And I heard somebody else say the other day that, you know, books aren't finished, they're abandoned. <laughs> because a book can, <laughs> can, can never be finished. You can yeah. always do a little more on it. Yeah. And I'm really delighted that I shipped the advice app and got it out there in the world. Um, in fact, the, uh, the audio book for the advice trap comes out on, uh, in two weeks time at the end of February. Oh, so a, a year exactly yeah. after the, the book had launched. And I'm really excited about it because it's got, um, it's got my voice. I'm narrating it for the first time, but I've got six or seven other people who come in at the end of every chapter and they reflect on what they've learned and they, <laughs> You know, everything from a CEO of one of Canada's biggest companies to uh, an NBA all-star who's, you know, won Olympic medals Super. for Spain and championship rings for the Lakers to um, some, uh, the guy who wrote my favorite book on uh, indigenous wisdom called Sand Talk from Australia, Tyson. Okay. It's, and I look at that and I go, now that is actually making the advice trap better. So I think the, the audio book is like the, possibly the best version of the advice trap. So that's it now. We've all got to go rushing out to buy the audio, but that's it. That's a, the two wins there, which is great. If you've not got the the advice trap currently, you buy the book and then now we're going to get the audio version. Exactly. exactly. Oh, brilliant. Well, I'll hear your dulcet tones. <laughs> Narrate it to us. For what they're worth. Oh, exactly. So it's a kind of British, Australian, Canadian with a, with a speech impediment reading oh. this book. So take it or leave it, yeah. <laughs> we'll love it. I know we will. So in terms of I've been asked some questions to ask you, so I threw it out to our coaching culture community. And I think this is a, a really great question that it's, it's way too good for me to have come up with it, um, which is, um, so the advice trap, tell us a little bit more about it and then also share with us What's the best advice you've ever received and from who? So the advice trap, um, you know, as a, as a, the reason I wrote the advice trap was because when people read the coaching habit, um, there are three responses to it, broadly speaking. Yeah. There are some people who read it and go, this is brilliant. I love it. I get it. I can start using it. It's changing the way that I show up and maybe I coach or I parent or I manage or lead whatever. And of course, that's wonderful. There's a whole bunch of people who are utterly indifferent to it, who go, I, I tried to read this book and it's terrible, and or it's not the book I'm looking for right now. Um, 
and that's fine. You know, it's just like it's it's a good book, but wrong person, wrong time. Yeah. And then there's a bunch of people in the middle, and this is who I wrote the advice trap for, who went, I I, I like the ideas and the coaching habit. I like the theory. In practice, I find it really hard to actually implement these seven okay. questions because even with my best intention, I default to giving advice. And you know, in, in the book, we talk about the three advice monsters that kind of grab yeah. you and take you off track. And the, the advice monsters are in some ways pointing to a deeper commitment that, that keeps you defaulting back to advice, solutions, opinions, ideas, and all of that. Yeah. And it's really a deeper dive into behavior change and confronting your investment in keeping things the way they are rather than shifting to this new way of behaving, which is being more curious for a little bit longer. Yeah. Now, in terms of the best advice I've been giving, here's what comes to mind, Joe. And it's actually not even advice. It's being seen. Okay. Which is just a, a level of guidance that can strike a chord and resonate much longer. So one of my bosses in my, in my very first job, Dave, who is a nice guy, but both my bosses were a bit nuts in my, my first job, but, <laughs> but Dave had his moments. And one of his moments was um, looking at me and I can't remember, I can't remember why he said this or the context or even where we were. All I remember is what he said to me. He said, Michael, I really see you as a force for good in this world. And that just meant so much because yeah. I probably wouldn't have been able to articulate that to myself or to have owned that up to myself, but hearing it said allowed me to see myself in a mirror that I hadn't realized was there. And there's no advice there. There's no, you should do this. It was more, you are this. Oh, I love you are. It's like, it's speaking to me at the level of being rather than the level of doing. I love that. Yeah. And and it, Dave, what a great guy to say that because he's so true. Because he said some other things that were he said some other things that were terrible and very kind of like demotivating. But <laughs> on that day, he just nailed it. And if you're, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a, a coach or, but if you're in, in a relationship with somebody, and you can say, look, let me tell you who I see you to be. I I think you are. And then whatever comes from that, it's like some form of quality. You know, you are courageous. You are generous. You are a force for good. You are a, you are a troublemaker in all the right ways. You are a rebel. You are, you, you, you take a stand for what really matters. There's a way of being seen that can be very resonant and powerful for people. Wow. Thank, thank goodness you listened to Dave because you've gone on and you've become what he's definitely told you, which is, which is wonderful. And, and I don't know about you, but I find that when people receive feedback like that, which is phenomenal feedback, you know, when people receive that sort of positivity, that extra self-belief oomph, they, they go and live it. They become it because somebody is sort of given that I find people so much perform better when they've got those positive affirmations from their boss, from other people. Um, and that's exactly, I suppose, what, how long ago was that with Dave? That would have been uh, uh, 25, somewhere between 25 and 30 years ago. So you can see how long that's last. I will build on what you're saying there, Joe, which is like, I think that can be true. 
Like that was yeah. true for me with Dave. Yeah. Like that, you can see that bell was struck and it's still ringing 30 years later. I also notice that there are sometimes when you say that and people deflect or they slide away from it or they self-deprecate or they kind of go, no, 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 no. Isn't that? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, uh, here's my goal when I do that. And I'll put it bluntly rather than that. I try and grab them by the collars and I dunk their head back in the bucket. I'm like, no, no, I need you to hear this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and it can feel Absolutely. a bit kind of, you know, Californian woo-woo touchiness. And I'm like, I'm not much into the kind of Californian woo-woo-ness of coaching. It's in part what inspired me to start Box of Crowns, which is like, we've got to strip the woo-woo away and make it feel practical for people. But I just do think that ability to, you know, it comes back to a guy I mentioned a lot, a philosopher called Martin Buber, B-U-R-B-U-R, who's like two types of relationships, I-it relationships, where the other person is a bit more objectified and a bit more a cog in the machine. And I-thou relationships, which is when you are at your fully human and you connect to them at a fully human level. And I think those moments of like, Michael, you are a force for good is a moment of an I-thou relationship. And if you can bring more of that into the world, then you're a good person. Well, talking of being human, I mean, last year I had the um, privilege of interviewing so many people for our uh, magazine and, and it was done for the, for while they were, it was the senior leaders navigating through the global pandemic. And obviously we're still, we're still looking for that rule book. Um, and some of the, the conversations I, I had were, were phenomenal. I was party to, and I have something called a goosebumpometer. Um, and my goosebumpometer got kind of triggered on so many conversations, and they were all linked to the human element, the human side that this global pandemic has brought, brought out to the fore, bringing the human back into human resources. Um, and, and just my goosebumpometer went ping, 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 nonstop. Um, because of that human, the authenticity and the I thou, you know, that's come across a lot more this year. And I think those leaders who haven't quite grasped that this year need to be need to be uh, need to be doing so very quick. Yeah, step up. For everybody's sake, for your sake, for their sake, for everybody's sake. Definitely. Now, so you talked before about, you know, fundamentally this is about changing behaviors you know and and the the coaching habit and the advice trap and I I can see them totally working together what do you think are the fundamental barriers to leaders and managers adopting that coaching style using building a coaching habit more of the time here I am asking you loads of popcorn questions (laughs) pick one Um, but yeah so you know what's getting in the way of them adopting because for me coaching conversations now are habitual to the point that they can get in the way at home (laughs) stop coaching me joe stop coaching me (laughs) but but how do we get more people doing that well there's there there's not a generic answer um so it kind of depends a little bit but i've got some options that people might think about or choose from yeah i think the first is just to be kind and be gentle to yourself to recognize that it's not natural to, to be curious and ask questions, meaning that we've had it trained out of us. You know, the whole process of going to school from four or five onwards is, you know, have you got the right answer? Yeah. And look at, look at you getting the gold star for being the person with the answer. And, you know, and then, you know, in the U S it's like, what's your GPA? And it's like in, you know, 
England is like, what, have you got a first class degree or a second yeah. class degree and all that sort of stuff. And, um, we, we're, and then we, we start our careers and it's like, well, you better learn your stuff because you're here to do stuff. So, so yeah. accumulate knowledge. And, um, so we're trying to undo a lot of deep training that says the way you add value is to have the answer. So yeah. there's that. And then if that wasn't enough, there's a way that our brain is wired to say our brain on the whole, likes certainty far more than uncertainty. Definitely. So, um, and this is just a very lizard brain amygdala primitive piece, which is, look, if I have certainty, I'm less likely to die. And if yeah. I have uncertainty, I'm more likely to die. And the brain's number one job is make sure the person doesn't die. So we've got this kind of neurological drive for certainty and we've got a social conditioning towards certainty and answers. So it's like, no wonder being curious is difficult because it's like everything's conspiring against you. You're trying to transcend society and biology by being curious. So all contacts to say, look, if this is hard for you, then you're not alone and you're in really good company. Um, and then it, and then it kind of depends, you know, uh, I think the idea that I introduced in the coaching habit book, which is like, you know, building a habit is a really good idea. Yes. It's one, it's one of the key tools of behavior change. It's <clears throat> the way you move from consciously competent to unconsciously competent. Definitely. And you just make it a instinctive response through training to stimulus that you're given. So you know, Joe, you mentioned, you know, you're like a little too coachy at home. And like, I'm the same. My wife is like, if I catch you coaching me, you're dead. I will kill you. Exactly. There, there is no other way. Yes, yeah, exactly. exactly. And I'm like, fair enough. Um, so, yeah, part of the reason if I'm a good coach, in part it's because I have to be a sneaky coach at home. So I'm getting kind of like black belt ninja coach training. by Coaching to, by co stealth. Exactly. Um, and the secret with, building a habit comes down to being really specific about what you're trying to do. Cause it doesn't work to try and build a habit where you're like, I just want to ask more questions. You're like, no, here's the habit I'm trying to build. When I have um, a meeting with Joe on our weekly meeting with Joe and she starts complaining about how bad her team is at the moment, yeah. rather than leaping in with solutions, like I normally do, I'm going to ask her a good question probably one of either this question or that question. So now I've got something really, really specific that really helps with kind of going, right, here's, here's how I build up my curiosity muscle, you know, yeah. repetition by repetition. Definitely. And sometimes that doesn't work. Sometimes like I keep trying to do that. And for some reason it's, it's too hard. And then I think it's a question of going, all right, let me, let me get to grips with my advice monster. And I think here the, the starting point is to notice which of the three advice monsters might be strongest for you. Is it tell it? Is it save it? Is it control it? And you know, if people are interested at, at the advicetrap.com, there's actually a little questionnaire that people can answer to kind of figure out which is their advice monster. And then the, re, the, the most powerful thing to do here, and this is quite deep work, so I'm going to make it sound a little more casual than it is, is to understand what's the benefit you get from your advice monster taking control. How do you win when tell it is 
giving everybody the answers or save it means that you're trying to save everybody and helping make sure that nobody ever struggles or stumbles or control. It means that you're controlling everything and not letting anything inside mm -hmm. that will disrupt it. How do you win like that? Because you do win. It's, it's, it's probably a short-term win. It's a bit ego-driven, but you for sure win. And then if you can see how you win, but then weigh it up against how you lose, the prizes and the punishments, yeah. then you are seeing more clearly the consequences of the choices that you're making. And I think, I mean, this is where, I guess, the coaching habit and, and adopting a coach, you talk about leaders and managers becoming more coach-like. I often use the phrase adopting a coaching style more of the time, more of the time and, 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 and kind of demystify it by saying to people, look, we can all cook of a fashion, um, but we're not all professional chefs. So stop having to worry about being a professional coach to be able to ask some great quality coaching questions to hugely empower your team and make a huge difference to yourself and the team. And I think sometimes it's, it's unfair to give advice all the time and come up with the solutions because it, to me, I know you said it was a win. I sometimes think it's actually a bit of a lose-lose because they, 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 nobody's growing. Nobody's growing on the back of it. And I suppose that's one of my core values, I guess. So that's true, Joe. But, um, but there are wins. Here are the wins of me giving advice all the time. I stay in control. Yeah. I stay the smartest person in the room. I provide a fast answer. I make people feel that they're cared for. I feel like I'm helping people. People feel like they're helped by me. Yeah. I get to um, uh, not be not confront the fact that my my information might be out of doubt or <laughs> out of date or I don't know what I'm talking about. There's all sorts of wins that I get from that. And there's a price you pay, which is like yeah. uh, I become the bottleneck. Um, my advice isn't as good as I think it is. I'm solving the wrong problem. My people aren't growing. They're not being empowered. They're not taking responsibility. Yeah. But you have to see both sides of that equation yeah. because until you see how you're winning and how you're losing, it's harder to make the choice. So I'm going to ask you to give one piece of advice now. Uh, let, your, let your advice monster go crazy. Um, if you were giving a piece of advice to organizations today on, on how they could build a coaching culture, so the simplest advice that could have the greatest impact? Well, I think you have to start by asking for the sake of what. Okay. Why, why, why would we bother building a coaching culture? Yeah. Because it's hard to shift all those people's behaviors. Yeah. And it's no point talking to somebody like Joe because Joe's literally got a company called Coaching Culture. So <laughs> she's like, I've got no, no neutrality on this conversation at all. I, I've literally got the answer built into the question. Um, and until you wrestle with what's the problem we're trying to solve, yeah. to which the answer in part or in whole might be to make people make a coaching culture, you're never going to make a whole lot of traction because you'll always have a few keen people who are like, I love this stuff. It's amazing. Let's just do it because it's, everything's going to be so much better. And you're probably going to have a few people on the, on the other end who are like, this sounds terrible. I utterly resist this because it is anathema to everything I stand for. But actually what you're really up against is the status quo, which is everybody in the middle going, look, it might be good. It probably, it probably, it sounds like it would be good, but I have so many things that are pointing me and continuing to behave the way I've always behaved. Yeah. 
from you know organizational structures to titles to the way we run meetings to the way that we're promoted everything everything is in in service of reinforcing the way things have been this is what an organization does it's homeostasis it resists change so until you come up with a really compelling reason why a coaching culture solves a real problem that we actually have, then it's going to be really hard to figure out what, how do you now do it? Wow. And there we are with the name of a business, like you said, called Coaching Culture, doing everything we can to uh, encourage. I think for us, it's about encouraging um, leaders and managers to adopt a coaching style more often, more of the time to build that culture of um of curiosity and what does that give you okay i have a culture of curiosity but if i'm head of sales i'm like why would i want a culture of curiosity i want a culture of sales well for us we talk often about the building a coaching culture about you know driving sales actually growing the performance of the organization the the win-win all round if you've actually got people who are having those quality conversations more quality and effective conversations i guess more of the time um i i just think it, it's got to be a win-win for all the departments well, in an I, organization. I, I, I agree that that's true in theory because you know i have similar conversations with yeah. people but if people are like, but it's not, it's not broken. It's fine as it is. Then they're like, I, yeah, in theory, it's better if we had slightly better conversations in practice, it's the, the cost of trying to change all of that for slightly better conversations. Honestly, I've got better things to do. Yeah. However, if you go, you know, how, you know, how having, you know, how a sales rep, is much better, more likely to hit their numbers on their third year in performance than they are in their first two years of performance. Mm -hmm. yeah. And you know how frustrating it is that you have a turnover that means 73% of your sales reps are gone before they get to their third year. And wouldn't it be amazing if we could find a way of keeping people so that they hit their third year and they're ready to finally rock it and deliver it? Well, that's what having a coaching culture can do. It can keep your sales rep an extra year, which gets them into the sweet spot, which means that your investment in them finally pays off. Now your head of sales goes, well, how do you do that then? Because that sounds good. <laughs> that sounds because, interesting. Because now I've solved a real problem for them. Yeah. And the danger that I have and that maybe you have as well, but I certainly do, is I, I wax on about coaching cultures because I think they're awesome and I think they solve all sorts of problems, but I never actually show them how I solve the real problems that they're actually wrestling with that they actually will pay money for. That's a really, really interesting, yeah, and, and a fair, fair challenge. It's really, I'll tell you what is quite interesting for us is um, we've been probably like you talking about a coaching culture for some time now. The global pandemic has definitely woken a number of organizations up and we've had people calling us phone calls saying we wish we'd have started this before last march but but we're here now so there definitely feels like there's a a tidal wave of a movement now where where coaches so the things you've been talking to people about for the last 15 years and more and what we've been talking to people about the last four years it feels like people are going actually yeah i'm starting to get this now right i i love that i mean i love hearing that because we all win because, you know, that Aaron Dignan I was telling you about before yeah. around dealing with complexity and making it organizations more human-centric. Yeah. Well, coaching in a coaching culture does that. It does. Um, but our challenge, you and me both, Joe, is 
not to spend our time violently agreeing with the people that already get that in our organizations, because then we all just sit around feeling good about ourselves. <laughs> we all pat each other's head. And being annoyed about everybody else who doesn't get it. And then go, but how do we make, how do we get other people to get excited about this? Therein, therein lies the, the juicy, hard, interesting challenge. That's the challenge, isn't it? Moving the uh, the the cynics along along the the route, and I think we're getting there. And I also think, you know, in terms of even schools now, schools are. We talked about schools very early on in our conversation about us being taught at school, have the answers, you know, and 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 build your knowledge. Whereas schools, certainly for us here, are, are really encouraging the growth mindset. How can you do this? And so I think there's a, a wave of a generation now who are going to be expecting coaching conversations rather than coming into the workplace at whether it's 18 or 22 and being told all the answers I think people are expecting more and more actually to have their opinions valued cared for and not just be told I think they are expecting a lot more from organizations so we might get a wave of this new generation coming in um, and and I think it becomes part of the future proofing of organizations so I think I think we're doing the right thing and we've just got to keep on with this mission <laughs> exactly so in terms of the future well we're touching on the future of coaching here already what what's your views of the future of coaching well I think you have to look at um, the rise of AI and the rise of automation yeah because you know if you if you are blunt about it what I teach in the coaching habit and the advice trap books are stuff that can be programmed. You know, you can go, Hey Siri, can you coach me? And Siri goes, sure. What's on your mind, Michael? And I go, well, I'm blah, 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 blah. And Siri goes, interesting. You know, you talked about this three weeks ago, but I'm curious to know now what's the real challenge here for you. And I'll go, well, blah, 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 blah. And Siri goes, great. What else, Michael? Blah, 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 blah. Michael, this is wonderful. What else? Blah, 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 blah. And then Siri goes, so Michael, you talked about this three weeks ago. You're talking about it now. What feels like the real challenge here for you, Michael? And I'm like, oh, wow, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I'm just being coached by AI that has enough context in me and kind of can draw on previous conversations we've had and follows a decision tree in terms of which question it asks. And um, honestly, I think they will do as good a job as many coaches or managers, leaders being coach-like um, a healthy percentage of the time. So I think if you're a coach, part of what you need to be asking yourself is, where do I offer value in the coaching experience that somebody can't get from chatting to their, their artificial assistant? So, I have no idea how that plays out. Something to, I mean, wow, can you, that is going to be amazing. I mean, Siri actually gets on my nerves, but um, I, if, if I can get the coach version going forward, that would be, uh, that would be amazing. So yeah, definitely something to look forward. We've already at, at Coaching Culture, we're into software and coaching programs through digital. So I, I totally agree with you. And, and, and for me, it helps democratize coaching, get coaching out to the masses, get more people having a, those light bulb moments rather than having to always pay for an expensive coach. So yeah, that's great. And in terms of yourself, Michael, you talked a little bit earlier about you writing your third book. 
you're going through that painful process by the sounds of it, but I know that whatever we get at the end of it will be the uh, brilliant, engaging version. Now I know the pain. You... <laughs> I'm fully confident. What is next for yourself? What's next on the horizon? Yeah, so um, a year and a half ago, I stepped away from running Box of Crayons and handed <laughs> being CEO over to Shannon. And that's been wonderful. Um, she's smarter and better and everything better than I am in terms of leading that company. So that's great. Um, Box of Crayons is a kind of B2B, business to business yeah. um, uh, play. So I'm thinking what, what's a B2C play? How do I help individuals? And I'm particularly interested in helping people be a force for change in the world. You know, that you're a force for good, Michael. Um, I want people to feel like they can make a difference in the world that they're living in. So um, the new book is going to be around about that. And um, we're going to build some, some resources at mbs.works that will help people going, yeah, I'm ready to be a force for change. How do I do that? And I'm like, good, we can help you with that. Well, you've just, you've sparked the goosebumpometer. I love anything to do with force for good and force for change. So I can't wait. So when's this, when's this going to happen then? So how long have we got to wait for this? Well, um, I think the new book will come out uh, about a year from now. January 20, 2022 is what we're, we're aiming for. We're going to launch a membership site um, in the second half of the year, the calendar year. So Great. we're just beta testing that at the moment with people and that's going pretty well. Um, and if people are like, but I need something to start with now um, at mbs.works, which is the website, yeah. there's something called the year of living brilliantly. And it's a year long, absolutely free program where you get a different teacher every, every week. And they, you get a short video from that person between two and six minutes. And it's just, they teaching a whole range of different skills so that you can be the best version of yourself, do the work that you want to do and have a year of living brilliantly. Well, I'm, I'm sat here now thinking, thank goodness for Dave, actually. Dave, Dave's definitely getting, a, getting the thumbs up from me because he's definitely influenced you and you certainly remembered what he said. And, and thank you so much, Michael, for today. You've been absolutely brilliant and you've, you've exceeded all our expectations as we knew you would. Um, but in terms of if people are listening to that, how how are they best to contact you to learn more about you so you've got so many brilliant resources and you've just talked about a few of them now how's it best for them people to learn more mbs.works is the yeah. website and it's we're just going through a refresh on that so we're going to have a brand new website in the next uh, three or four weeks i hope um but you can get all the resources there right now and if you're if you're on social media i don't spend a, a whole lot of time there but if you're keen yeah. twitter and uh, Twitter and Instagram, I'm at MBS underscore works. Yeah. And then if uh, you want to follow me on LinkedIn, then Michael Bungay Stanier. I am the only Michael Bungay Stanier in the entire universe. Brilliant. Well, Michael, thank you again so much for your time today. You've been, it's been an absolute pleasure and a delight to have you on our Coaching Culture podcast. Joe, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. And if everybody's enjoyed today, which I'm sure you have, please do tune into more Coaching Culture podcasts to listen to our fabulous guests. So thank you.